extra, extra. Read all about it. I love black history. So proud about it. I know where I come from and I don't doubt it. Stand on the roof and shout it. Black history. Can't you see what it all means to me? And if you're like me and I'm like you, then you care about black history as much as I do. So go the lyrics of the song, I am the future of black history, sung here by Culture Queen. We here at Solutions of Violence and our guest today, Dr. Shelley Thomas and Tyra Walker, understand the importance of teaching black history. Welcome friends, welcome to Solutions of Violence. You are listening to WFMP 106.5 FM. We're delighted you could join us again as we talk today with our guests, Dr. Shelley Thomas and Tyra Walker. I'm Jim Johnson. My co-host is Jamie McMillan. We are your hosts for Solution to Files. The following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of our guests and not the station. If you'd like to share your views, you can do this by emailing us at solutiontoviolence18 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Our guest today is Dr. Shelley Thomas and Tyra Walker. Dr. Shelley Thomas is currently the Assistant Department Chair and Associate Professor Social Studies Education at the University of Louisville. She specializes in cross-cultural competence, public schools in America, and social studies methods. She was also a Jefferson County Public School teacher and a recipient of the 1998 Jefferson County Public School Outstanding Staff Award. Shelley Thomas is also author and co-author of many articles concerning academic development and cross-cultural learning. Tyra Walker is a longtime Jefferson County Public School elementary teacher with a certification in primary education and a certification in social studies grades K through 12. She's also one of the guiding members of the Louisville branch of the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. Welcome to Solutions of Violence, Tower Walker and Shelley Thomas. Thank you. So Dr. Shelley Thomas, you have a doctorate in teacher education, a master's of art in teacher social studies and a BA in psychology. But yes. you have also spent years teaching middle and high school students in the Jefferson County Public School System. Yes. You've managed to connect the theoretical with the practical. Explain how the practical experience of working with middle and high school students has informed your philosophical perspective in terms of how you perceive the growth and development of our young students. Okay, so this story is going to go back a bit to the 1980s, so when I was a first-year teacher. And my first year of teaching was 1989, so a long time ago, a little over 30 years. And I went into teaching thinking I was going to be this nice white lady who knew a lot about social studies and that I would be just able to share my knowledge with these students. And it would be just a, we would all have a good time. We would all learn a lot and I would go, well, what I found out is that's not necessarily what happened. And that's not necessarily what I was prepared for. So the students that I faced in the fall of 1989 were mostly different from me. So I identify as white and most of my students were not. And uh, I was not really prepared. I had, I knew that that might be the case, but I had never really understood what that was going to mean for when I stood in front of students or alongside students as their teacher. And so those early experiences and building relationships with the students that I had actually taught rather than these hypothetical ones that I always thought about when I was in my pre-service program during my MAT, I learned a lot from my students and I learned a lot from that process. And those really important lessons that I learned in the fall of 89 and the spring of 1990 carry forward with me to this day as I work with young people who also want to be teachers or even practicing teachers, many of whom 
have the same experience that I do where they just assume that knowing a lot of history or knowing a lot of their content area would be enough and that they would be able just by virtue of their youth or just because they were fun people, they would be able to get students engaged. And instead, I had to understand that my students were more than just receptacles that I was going to talk to. Instead, I had to think intentionally about how I was going to build relationships with them, what I was going to understand about their own experiences and how I was going to need to use those experiences to connect them to the content, in this case, social studies that I was going to teach or that I did teach. And so those early lessons actually ground everything I do to this day. And it was, um, it was some hard lessons. It was, it was some long days. You know, those are the days before we had every classroom had air conditioning even. And so, you know, I, I have very fond memories, honestly, as I reflect back on them, of learning from my students that of who they are and their experiences, their communities are really important in helping them learn high school subjects. In my case, it was uh, history with some geography. Yes. That experience, Dr. Thomas, is very similar to Jim's and mine in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s when we were teaching. Let's look at the Kentucky State Legislature for a second. Two Republican Kentucky State legislators, Matt Lockhart and Joe Fisher, have recently pre-filed addendums to the state legislature that, if passed, will impede teaching of African-American Native American history and Kentucky public school, that addendum is based on the premise that teaching African American and Native American history may negatively impact the self-image of the psychic of our young, middle, and, and high school students. What does your theoretical and practical experience tell you concerning the impact that teaching these Native American and African American histories might have on the lives of middle and high school students? So this is really interesting to me because one of the first tasks I had as a new teacher, and this was about two years in, is I was asked to teach African American history to high school students. And I didn't have a background in that. It wasn't part of my own K-12 experience. It was not part of any of my undergraduate coursework or my graduate coursework work. So I spent a summer learning African-American history, but also learning how to build relationships with predominantly African-American students and their families. And there was a group of us who, um, like myself, identified as white. Not all of the teachers teaching the class were white, but but we had to think through some really important questions that students and families were going to ask us. You know, and one of those was, why is it important for a white teacher to teach African-American history? And I will say that at the time, and I think, and I can't speak to currently, but at the time, we didn't do a good job at all about talking about Native American history, right? So it was very superficial, slight mentions within the, I would say, U.S. history courses. And so in learning how to teach African American history, my reaction as a white person learning that history for the first time was I was really angry that it was left out of my own educational experiences. I was disappointed and I was angry and I was embarrassed that I didn't learn this information. And so I questioned what they're saying about the impact on students. It's my first question is which students are you talking about, right? And so are you talking about students like my children who are public school students? Are you talking about African-American and Native American students? Which students are you talking about are going to have detrimental effects as a result of hearing this history? 
And it concerns me on a number of levels because once you learn something, you can't unlearn it, right? So once I learned all that information in the, you know, in the summer of, I believe it was 1991 or 1992, I can't unlearn that. And what I'm continuing to learn since then is there's so much I still don't know. And so I'm not sure how stopping learning, especially of, of historical events that are part of the historical record of this country, but also part of the lived experiences of so many of the students in the public schools and the parochial schools, how that is detrimental for students and who gets to decide. So does that address your question or? Sure. Yeah. So Shelley Thomas, the Lockhart Fisher addendum now currently being pre-filed, mm-hmm. also based on the premise that teaching of Native American, African-American history, the history of women's movement, the LBGTQ movement is designed to accuse individuals of injustices that have occurred in the history of the United States. Those who support the teaching of African-American history and Native American history explain that their teaching emphasizes racism embedded in institutions and outcomes that will rectify institutionalized racism. Those who oppose the teaching of Native American, African-American history claim that teaching Native American history in public and parochial schools is designed to accuse individuals for mistakes that were made in the past. Thus, causing students to suffer emotional trauma. Where do you come down to this argument? So first I want to clarify, I'm not an expert in critical race theory. It's not my scholarship. I taught history. I prepared teachers. Some teachers who teach history, some of the teachers I work with teach math, right? And so I am honestly, I don't understand this argument. I think that's about the calmest thing I can say about it. And it's because the emotional trauma that they're talking about, I'm not sure they understand the source of it, right? So I described the anger I felt when I learned how much I didn't learn. So where does that fit into my question? And, and that's a very common response for students with whom I work, right? They'll say, why did I not hear about this when I, you know, why wasn't I taught this? And even the high schoolers I taught in the 90s, one of the questions they would ask, tell me all the time, they, they would, this phrase they would use with me, and it took me forever to understand it. They would say, you're lying to us. You're lying to us. I never understood that at the time. Upon reflection years later, I'm interpreting at least part of that as being, I was lying by omission. And that's the truth. I was lying by omission. I wasn't providing all the historical information that I could have, right? So this idea that it's going to, and I've heard this critique before I've been reading up on it, that it's going to be emotionally damaging to students and they're going to feel that it's their fault. Well, we all have emotional reactions to a lot of things we learn in school. And yes, I have seen students who feel really bad and are upset once they find out some of the historical events and historical actions. But moving forward and healing is an important step to that. And moving forward and healing doesn't come from silencing or ignoring information in this case, historical information. And so I don't think it's healthy to ignore it. I don't think it's healthy to outlaw it. It's not healthy for us as teachers. It's not healthy for us as a society. And I think the the logic, I don't understand the logic behind it because it doesn't mesh with my experience in working with folks who once they learn information, 
sorrow or sadness or being feeling shamed isn't the only reaction. What about the folks who are angry because they were of what was left out? Yeah, so you don't understand the logic behind teaching. The logic behind eliminating Native American history, African American history, LGBTQ history, eliminating that will not remove. I don't. It, it, I don't think it will effectively remove these feelings of discomfort. That I that, and that's the best way I've come to understand this argument that these legislators are making. Anything that causes discomfort in the classroom. So, Shelley Thomas, as you know, the Jefferson County Public School System it's the largest school district in Kentucky by far. The JCPS Cascade Data Portal documents that 37 percent of its 94,608 students are black, while 40 percent of its student body are white. Just over 35,000 African-American students attend Jefferson County Public Schools. Why is learning the history of African-American people important to those 35,000 African-American students? So this is an important question. And I think that it's an important question for the families and the students to, to respond to as well, right? So I'm going to use a phrase that actually a, a teacher used, and I, I knew this phrase before, but a black teacher used this with me in an interview, and she and it's commonly used in reading, right? So National Councils of Teachers of English. And the phrase is that students need windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors. And so mirrors would be those experiences or those histories that reflect who you are. Windows would be those that are don't reflect who you are, but let you see other perspectives. And the sliding glass door piece was was rather new to me. And that's a, I think it's more of an English thing, English education thing, as opposed to social studies education. But the sliding glass doors, and I pulled this up so I could refer to it. Um, so that means whatever walks through, it's a way to walk through your imagination in reading, I believe. But the idea that we would eliminate the mirrors for so many, such a large percentage of JCPS students is, is problematic. So Tyler Walker, what do you think? Will learning their history help African-American students improve their standardized test scores? It is important, for my opinion, because it's, it's important to all students, because we need to teach the history of Africans and African-Americans, because our children, our Black students, as well as other students of other ethnicities need to understand the cultures of all the, the makeup of Jefferson County Public Schools. People fear what they don't know. So when, that we need to be educated about Africans and African-American history. And not only do we need to, and when I say this, we don't need to just learn about African-Americans. We need to learn about the history before America, before we captured and brought over here to slavery. Because as an elementary school teacher, you know, you learn and they're learning about the people who help in the community, their community. And then they go into the geography, like third and fourth grade of Kentucky to fifth grade when they learn about slavery. And I say that because I teach in an urban school. Most of my students, they live in high poverty, high, high gun violence and other violence neighborhoods. And just from a student's perspective, because I interview my kids, I talk to my, my students 
And they feel some of them, not all of them, I'm not going to say all, but from a couple of particular students that I spoke to, they felt sad and depressed because they come, they, they leave a neighborhood with such adversities to enter into fifth, to come to the fifth grade classroom to learn they were slaves. And they feel like that there's, you know, that there's nothing I can do. I'm, I'm not going to be better. So if you don't talk to your students, you'll never know that they're feeling like this. But because I talk to my students, I know what my students feel. I know what they're thinking. So that's when you have to, you know, teaching is just not about the academics. It's about teaching the whole student. I tell my students, you don't have to be a product of your environment. Just because you live here and you see this going on, you don't have to be that way. So that's that comes with educating them so that they don't see themselves as slaves to now still being enslaved to their community. So they need to know their history. They need to understand I was 40 years, 40 plus years old when I learned about the women at NASA, hidden figures. Why am I 40 years old just now hearing about this? This is something that we should have learned about years ago. We need to know about the inventors and not just about Martin Luther King. And I don't even know if we even talk about anybody else, but just not about Martin Luther King. There's Frederick Douglass, there's Harriet Tubman, there's Sarge on the Truth, there's W.B. Du Bois. There's so many other Black people who have done so many things. I'm in the scientist name, uh, oh, George Washington Carver, who was a scientist that did not get to even have any offsprings because of him being educated, wanting to be educated, and him having to reside in the home with, with white people who had a white daughter and he had to be castrated so that he could live here so they could go to school. He invented the different things that you can use with peanuts. So it's just things that they need to know. Because when I'm teaching these lessons to my students, they're like in disbelief that Black people had contributed to the makeup of America in the building of America. So it's important for Black students, white students, Asian Allen students, you know, the makeup of our demographics here in Jefferson County Public Schools and any other diverse public school system where they they need to know about everything that Black people have done in America. Well, let me ask you this, Tyra Walker. You claim that white students need to know this African-American history also. There are 37,843 white students who attend JCPS schools. You're saying that white students need to know this history because they don't know about the hundreds of thousands of African-American intellectuals who have made great contributions to not only the United States, but also the world in general, right? That's what you're... Absolutely. They do not. And I did my my ancestry background, right? I'm teaching summer backpack league. There are some Indian students. They're from India. And they were talking, they said, oh, I know you had some European. And I was like, I did, but that wasn't the biggest. I said, but why did you say European? He said, because that was the start of civilization. I was like, whoa. So see, we're not teaching. This was a student, a student from India. So that we're not teaching the true history of America the makeup of America. We're not teaching that. So yes, all students need to understand and know about Blacks in America as well as Africans because we didn't need to be saved. We were, we come from a, a line and a generation of people that cultivated land, their land royalty. And, I, and everybody wasn't royal, but we come from a diverse, such a diverse continent 
and a background makeup that we just were not sitting over there waiting for a white um, European man to come and save us and teach us how to survive because we were surviving before they came over there. So they need to understand this. They need to understand this. They need to understand what a resilient people they need to understand the, I, I don't think we should in elementary get so detailed about slavery, but they need to understand slavery and you give it to them in elementary, I'm going to say just a little bit at a time, but it should progress with middle school and high school and beyond because we are a resilient people. Would you say learning about African-American history also important to the 40,000 white students in JCPS? Absolutely. Absolutely. So those are the windows. That is the windows. And the the experience of African-Americans are not monolithic, right? So there's no one African-American experience that would fit the whole country. Say, for example, African-American family that grew up in the Northeast would have a different historical experience than those growing up in the South at a particular time in history. Good point. So it's not monolithic, right? And the white experience isn't monolithic either. But I will share that, you know, as a white person raising two white children who are in public school, it is really important to me that they hear the histories of those who are not like them. They don't need to hear their own experiences reflected back to them all the time. And they need to be challenged. They need to be uh, corrected in some cases. And they need to have the experience of hearing the expertise of folks who have backgrounds who are way different from their parents and way different from our circle of, of influence, our family. Tower Walker, same question to you. Should we teach Native American and African American history to our rural communities as well? Are you saying should it? Should it? Yes. It should. I mean, we have a diverse nation. Uh, well, nation. The United States is so diverse with so many different cultures that we should be teaching. You know, like my students, my Indian students, they're Hindu. And every time they do something, I don't know. And I'm asking. And I'm like, I'm asking because I want to know. So, And, and that's because I want to know about your culture and what you all do. So we should be learning. Yes, about all cultures. Uh, we should celebrate the diversity in our districts and other school districts. The rural school districts may not have a lot of, you know, what I'm, you know, they might have just black, white, maybe some uh, Hispanic, some Asians, but JCPS is very diverse. And we should celebrate the different cultures. And that comes with learning about them. If it's just like a week, because we are, I mean, the country is made up of so many different people. We need to understand each other. And that's where the problem lies. We don't understand one another because we fear what we don't know. And all we see is what they show us on television. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid because Black people are so aggressive and they're, they're so violent. But not all Black people are aggressive and violent. And just because sometimes we are very passionate about what we're talking about and we may, our voice may go up some octaves and we might start talking with our hands. We're not getting ready to attack you. That's just how we express ourselves, some of us. And that's because I've been told by a white friend that I was, because I was passionate. I said, oh, you're just so aggressive. I'm like, not, I'm not aggressive. I'm not going to attack you. I'm just, I'm very passionate about what I'm speaking about. And I just move my hands and I might get a little louder than normal. That's just, just that's how I speak. So we need to understand, everybody needs to understand. I mean, if we all really understood one another, work together, there are so many things that this country right here can accomplish. There's so many things that this district can accomplish. We're too busy fighting against the people who want to keep sweeping things under the rug. It's just not fair. It's not fair to our students. 
It's not fair to the to our community. It's not fair to our society. Okay. So, Tara, it is no secret that a stubborn standardized test score gap exists between the JCPS, mostly middle-class white students, and the mostly working-class African-American students who attend the Jefferson County Public Schools. Will teaching a more comprehensive African-American and Native American history help to close that standardized test score gap? The only thing that I could say about that is if for our Black students to really know about how how resilient a people that they come from, uh, an intelligent people that they come from may boost their morale and may want them to say, hey, you know what? I come from this set of people, this group of people. You know what? I'm really going to put forth an effort. They start feeling better about themselves when they know about themselves. So they may put forth a better effort with uh, on the test. I mean, and I'm not saying that they are not doing that, but I am saying that that's a possibility. It's a 50-50 chance that it could possibly increase or close the, the achievement gap. Yeah, and you mentioned role models, African-American intellectuals, hundreds of thousands of them. Those role models don't exist unless we teach African-American students that they do exist because Sir John of Truth is not in the history books published by white men. No, no. I mean, her story of her losing, what, 13 of her kids to slavery that she never seen. I mean, we're resilient. She kept going. She didn't give up. So that's just a story in itself, you know, just saying, oh, you know, Sir John the Truth, she just she just kept living and kept going and kept trying to help people despite her not having all of her children with her. Shoot, Harriet Tubman continued to go back because she had the she had that that moment courage, that moment. Yes. And so just to know about these people, these women, these men who fought for freedom for black people, it just wasn't didn't start with the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King. It started way before it, way before him. And that's what we need to get. We need to get out of Martin Luther King and let's expand. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to discredit him. Not one bit. <laughs> Let me say that. I'm not. But there are so many other Black people that have done so many things that we need to learn about them. They need okay. to know Masa Musa of Mali. Masa Musa of Mali would be the richest man right now today if he was still alive. They need to understand that they need to know the Moors, about the Moors. They need to know about all of this. They need to know about Timbuktu and how people came to Timbuktu to be educated. So we need to teach it. it, it that okay. will give our kids some courage, some whether well, they feel good about themselves, some self-esteem. And now I just wasn't a slave. I was this. <laughs> okay. So Tyler Walker, the Harvard historian and philosopher George Santanata coined the following phrase, quote, those who cannot recall history are doomed to repeat it, end quote. Is Santanata's philosophy applicable to the teaching of African-American, Native American history, the history of women, of the women's movement and LBGTQ movement? Will learning our mistakes help us correct those mistakes? Yes, because if you know the mistakes and the things that you did, that, and if you see those things were wrong, you're going to try to do things differently and do them the right way and bring everyone together instead of being so divisive. So, yes, if you don't know, history will repeat itself. If you don't, you don't really have to say that as well. Let our students think for themselves and they may try things differently that won't look like what it did in the past. Because okay. we're still fighting the same fight that Martin Luther King fought. This Breonna Taylor movement, the same movement, same fight with police officers that is just, they were fighting against the, the, the oppressors. We're fighting against the oppressors. Okay, what about rural, Kentucky rural communities? Would, would you say that's the same logic? You use that to uh, 
about learning African-American history? So that's an interesting point. And I will never forget, I worked with a student maybe 10 years ago who came from Appalachia and he was asking that question and he wasn't being disrespectful at all. Most of the time when folks ask me these questions, they're not asked disrespectfully. They're just asked, like, I just want to know right? What about my history as an Appalachian student who identifies from that region? And I, and I thought that was a really excellent point. And we are all better because we have, a, you know, your perspective, which is not monolithic for Appalachian culture either, but we have your perspective to contribute. And think about how many common challenges students who come from urban areas and rural areas have, how many commonalities, how many common challenges, how many common, you know, there's some universal experiences we all have, among them being birth and death, right? And everything that fits in between. And there's so many connections that are relevant across communities. And so essentially what I was doing there, and I found out more about this later, was calling him in, right? So rather than calling him out for saying, I don't need to learn Black history or whatever he was saying, I was saying, you, you have a really important history that we need to learn too. So tell me about your history, your community, and let's all collaborate together and learn from one another rather than see each other as discrete individuals who have different histories that will never interact with each other. So interestingly, this past fall, the Anne Braden Institute here at the University of Louisville brought in Edna Ross, who uh, wrote about calling in the calling out culture. And so I've really grabbed hold of her, her terminology calling in and really taken it to heart to think, how can we call folks in to think about, you know, that actually we all do better when we all do better. So it's no secret, Shelley Thomas, that a stubborn standardized test score gap exists between the JCPS, mostly middle-class white students, and the mostly working-class African-American students who attend the Jefferson County Public Schools. Will teaching a more comprehensive African-American, Native American history help close that standardized test score gap? So I am not really good at talking about standardized test score gaps because it's not my area of expertise. And my personal feelings about standardized tests are they're measures of what happened on a particular day and a point in time. And there's way too much meaning put on them, right? Both positive and negative, right? So thinking about that, that said, we know we are underserving particular groups of students, in particular, our students of color. So African-American students, right? So standardized get is, is probably a symptom of us underserving those students. And I remember back when I started teaching African-American history, one of the arguments that the district was making in support of it was this was going to help students be more engaged in school. And as a result of them being more engaged, but we didn't have test scores back then. Do y'all remember those days when we didn't even have test scores? Yeah. So, <laughs> but their grades would go up, right? So the assumption is they would they would come to school and their grades would go up because they would be more engaged. And I do think, honestly, there's some truth to that, that kids who show up to school and are engaged in learning do better. Whether do better means a standardized test score or whether do better means they're just happier to be there and they ultimately do better in their next steps at, after school, right? Whatever that looks like. But I think including this history, when they see themselves in the curriculum or they see people who look like them or people who identify the same way they do, that that means that it matters, right? It matters to us, the, the adults that are in charge of making decisions about what they learn and what they don't learn and the system where they're being educated, that it sends a message that they matter 
And hopefully that means they're more engaged, more likely to come to school when they're at school, they're more likely to be doing what they're doing school, whatever that means. I'm using the air quotes. So whatever doing school means, because it's going to matter when students matter to the school, African-American students, Native American students, what have you, when students matter to the school, then school matters to the students from my perspective. So Dr. Thomas, the Harvard historian and philosopher, George Santanata coined the following phrase and quote, those who can not recall history are doomed to repeat it, end quote. Is Santanata's philosophy applicable to the teaching of African-American, Native American history and the history of when the women's movement, the LBGTQ movement? Will learning our past mistakes help us correct those mistakes? So that's an interesting quote. So when um, when I have students who feed some type of version of that quote to me, I always kind of bristle back and say, history doesn't repeat itself. There's actually patterns to it. And it's more complicated than that. And I want you to think about it in a more complicated way. But I think the point about learning from mistakes is critical. So I've been talking a lot with folks, including in my own family, about, you know, there were lessons we could have learned before. I'm thinking about McCarthyism in the Red Scare era, right? Lessons we could have learned before that can help us think through this present moment. (laughs) And so learning about past mistakes, correct mistakes. So correcting mistakes to me is really complicated also, right? So what does it mean? You can't undo some of the mistakes that were made, right? And, And I'm I'm really interested in trying to learn more about reparations. And that's something where where I I have almost no knowledge about. And I want to learn more about it because I think it's really interesting and very necessary for this healing because I like to think of it in terms of healing. So correcting mistakes, healing, what does that look like? And I think that learning history, learning from the mistakes of history is part of that. But I also think the other part of it is listening to the communities that were hurt, right? To the folks who inherited the consequences of all those mistakes, because my family didn't inherit the consequences of all those mistakes the same way other folks from African-American communities, Native American communities inherited the results of those mistakes. Sure. Well, as we listen to parents, some white parents worry that eliminating or correcting the institutional racism demonstrates by this more focused and inclusive history within our society will result in stiffer competition between whites and blacks. Stiffer competition, competition from jobs for jobs, uh, stiffer competition for college entrances, attendance, uh, competition for standing. What do you say to those parents? So I think that gives away their actual problem with the whole thing, right? So if they see everything as a competition, like a pie where there's a limited amount of it and we're all fighting for the pie, what they're trying to do is use the power they have to make sure they hang on to that pie really well. And so this idea of competition, I don't know. I, and in some cases, I do consider myself a competitive person. In other instances, I don't. So the competition metaphors don't always mean so much to me. But I, and I cannot remember where the quote's from. One of my students used it and I forgot who they attributed to. Is we all do better when we all do better, right? That This is not a pie where we slice out particular events. Now, if we're talking about competition for jobs and things like that, isn't that the point where we all get better that by constantly pushing one another to do better, we actually all are brought along in the meantime? So if we have folks who are better prepared, who are better educated, who are stronger members of a community, whatever whatever that choice is, aren't we better as a society if that indeed does happen? Yes. Well, 
Well, what will it mean for the African-American community if the vast majority of high school students, both black and white, can graduate knowing the history of African-American community? So I think that's, and that's what I always saw as the real, is my optimism, right? So if these students, black and white, you know, Latinx, Asian, all understand this history, then they have the tools to make the decisions as we move forward, to heal as a society and to make better decisions about we what we look like in government, politics, economics, to make better decisions than the decisions that were made in the past. I personally don't think I want kids to have the miserable experiences that I did just because I had the miserable experiences. Not that I had miserable experiences, but I don't have that mindset where I had to do this, so therefore you do. I didn't know this, therefore you don't get to know that. I think we all would benefit if the students that are going through school today are, I use exposed, right? So not all students will learn an extensive amount of these histories. Let's be honest. We, those of us that taught social studies know some of the kids were really into it. Some of them just hated it, right? And they were just just getting along, get along and be done with their credit. But if they're exposed, then they have the background to make better decisions in the future. Nothing's going to stay the same. That's, that's the other thing I've learned is nothing's going to stay the same, right? We all started with chalkboards. I had this conversation with my son in the car today. I remember, heck, forget whiteboards, chalkboards, right? And between that, I had the projector, overhead projector. And that was a benefit, right? Overhead projector was a big deal because it was so much better than the chalkboard because you kept writing on the chalkboard and you had to turn around and you couldn't see what was going on behind you. Yeah. (laughs) So things change and, you know, we all move on. And so kids who are, who have experience and who have conversations with one another, importantly, that's the other part of this. It's not just the teacher doing it. It's the kids having conversations with each other, bringing their lived experiences, bringing their perspectives and what they've learned, not just in school, but from their communities and their families into these conversations about race, about diversity and about history and the role of history as they plan for their futures. But in terms of correcting mistakes. hmm the history documents that institutionalized racism still exists. Uh-huh. It's in our corporations. It's in our government. So mm-hmm. will learning that history, learning that that institutionalized racism still exists, will that incentivize government, maybe a corporate society to change that narrative? So uh, here's how I like to think of it. Like when, the f- and I know this hadn't happened yet, right? Because if we'd have seen and this is what, what baffles me. If we'd have done a really good job as teachers back in the 90s, you know, teaching history in a way that students understood the institutionalized racism, then they would have changed things already. Instead, we're not seeing much change. We still have, well, we have an increase in voter suppression coming up, right? And so my thought is I didn't do a very good job getting across to people that I taught the role of voter suppression during, say, the the post-Civil War era, right, up into the 60s. So I'd like to think, and I still teach from this perspective, that once you know what's going on and also understand the intricacies, and this is, this is something where I think it, it takes more than one teacher to do this, is how do you change? How do you, cre- you create change? How does that happen, right? So are we talking about in business? Are we talking about in, in, um, in government? And so one of the gaps I recognize is I, don't, I never understood the role of the lobbyist. And so I always kind of had this pretty straightforward, like, once I inform people, then they, they can be informed voters, right? And it's just as simple as being an informed voter. Well, there's all sorts of other stuff that happens before even a vote comes up to the general public. 
So it's not just knowing the history, it's also working through understanding the systems and how the systems work and how to change those systems. Up until now, you've talked about your time teaching in the JCPS system, students, kids from that system. Mm -hmm. But let's let's change a little bit here. So you are now a U of L professor who teaches young people how to teach. What is the attitude with these young people in terms of their interest in teaching African-American, Native American history and the history of the LBGTQ women's uh, movement and the women's movement? Okay. So in my role as a teacher educator, and I'll have to say that the students I had, and unfortunately I didn't get to meet them in person because of COVID, but the young folks, the, the really young folks that I worked with who want to be teachers are incredibly passionate about working with students who are different from them, about building those relationships, doing the hard work to build relationships. Because when you talk about building relationships, in some cases, you might think superficially it's as easy as saying, hi, how are you? Here's my number. You know, this is what we have in common. But it's more complicated across cultural differences because of the assumptions we all bring in, the biases we bring in, assumptions in our prior experiences. And so the willingness of some of these younger students to really unpack what that means and think through it. Many of them grew up in diverse schools and benefited from it and are very explicit about how, and this is white students, very explicit how, about how they benefited from being in classrooms with people who were different from them. I have other students who come from what they self-describe as non-diverse backgrounds and wish they would have had more diverse experiences. So I'm really encouraged by many of the students who are coming in to be teachers because they have this real investment in making connections, building relationships, and understanding the importance of, you know, working across cultures, working across racial lines, and thinking through some of these vexing problems that, that face us in schools. Now, it's not universal, but I would say it is common enough in, within my classes for me to say that I am, I am optimistic and I'm looking forward to seeing many of these folks in the classroom. Okay. There just aren't enough of them. <laughs> yeah. Now, if that legislative addendum, it, we, we previously mentioned by Matt Lockhart, mm-hmm. is approved by the state legislature, will it impede the authority of university professors to, to teach the history of African-American, Native American, women's movement, as well as the history of LGBTQ movement? Is the Lockhart Amendment, if it's approved, how will it become a problem prevalent for university professors who charge it is to educate the next generation of college students? So I have colleagues in other departments who've been far more outspoken about this and have more expertise in this area. I can say that, you know, from my perspective in working with young teachers is that this is a, this is going to be a critical moment, right? And it's going to have an impact. I predict it's going to have an impact on making some folks, and I will say little Shelly, like little Shelly is 18 years old. She wants to be a teacher. Okay. And she knows that she's going to learn a whole lot about African-American history, but she's a little white girl and now it's not a law and she's a law abiding citizen. And so she's going to have some questions and think, well, well, I don't know about this anymore because it's against the law, right? So, so that's real thinking through what we have to do. 
I don't have a good answer for that. I don't know what I would say to little Shelly. I will say that I intend to be committed to teaching about the importance of building relationships. And part of building those relationships with your students is knowing who they are, where they come from, their communities' experiences, which includes learning Native American history, African American history, and the importance of those windows and mirrors. So I can't predict what's going to happen. I know it won't be business as usual. What I actually think might happen for some students, not all of them, is that some of them are going to be a little bit intrigued by this. I know the other thing little Shelly might have done is said, if it's illegal, this sounds interesting. I'm going to learn some more about it. So we might even see this create more interest for a time in students who decide if it's going to be illegal, by gosh, I want to be on board. Right. So we may see some of that, too. And but for this coming fall and definitely by the spring semester, I'm kind of preparing to answer some of those questions from students who are going to say, well, what about, you know, what am I supposed to teach? What am I supposed to talk about? And there's some there's some really thoughtful history teachers who are preparing that and they're pointing out to all of us. This is what I won't be able to talk about. Right. So it's not just kind of the, the painfully obvious that you think about. It's like you can't go into in-depth discussions about a lot of topics if this legislation were to be passed. So Shelley Thomas petition is currently circulated that states that people listed on the document will teach African-American, Native American, LBGTQ and women's history, regardless of what the state Kentucky state law states. Many universities have professors have signed this petition. Do you plan on signing the document? What do you think? So, you know, it's interesting. I saw a version of this come across once I, because I saw the signatures of teachers and, and my son's reaction was he wanted to see how many of his teachers signed it. Right which actually there were a few. And he was very excited about that. I can't figure out where that came from. I think I know. I think it was from the Zen Education Project, which is a resource that I absolutely use. So, you know, would I sign it if I saw it again? At this point, I would say yes. But, you know, you're recording me and I can't, I don't know. It depends. It depends on who's putting it out and why. So I'm not going to sign a random document from somewhere I don't know where it's from. If it's coming from the Zen Education Project, I absolutely do support the Zen Education Project and would sign it. So it's a, it's a qualified yes. Okay. So, Shirley Thomas, as you know, because you've taught social studies in the Jefferson County Public School System, there is little African-American and Native American history included in the Kentucky Core Content Social Studies Standards. State Legislature Attica Scott proposes supporting legislation that will require the Kentucky Department of Education to change the KCSCS standards so they include a more comprehensive African-American and Native American history. So you composed an article that appeared in Southern Social Studies Journal 2006. The article is entitled, quote, Building the Cultural Relevant Standard-Based Social Studies Classroom, end quote. Tell us about the article and your position on changing the Kentucky Core Content Standards so it includes a more comprehensive African-American history. So that it's interesting that you picked that particular article because I don't have it anymore. <laughs> But it was based on, and it's very much situated in a particular time, when many teachers, including many of the students I taught, were saying they can't teach things because it's not in the standards. And the point of the standards is not the ceiling for what you teach, it's kind of the floor, right? And you have to think of it that way. It's like the, the bare minimum of what you teach, not the all being, you know, curriculum guide or whatever. And since 2006, I think Jefferson County and other districts in Kentucky have done a much better job being more inclusive in their standards 
And I, I don't work so much with um, the social studies methods folks, you know, the teachers who are writing social studies lesson plans at this point as I did back then. But I think it's, it's more open. And there's also another set of standards now, the C3 standards from the National Council for the Social Studies. And I think the, what the National Council did is in part a reaction to this time period in the 2000s when not just Kentucky, but other states were saying, you know, okay, well, we've lived with these standards as we've been doing standards since the late 90s, right? So that was right at the end of my time in public schools. And in some ways, standards are helpful because they narrow down and help you think about what's important to teach. So, for example, if you've ever taught world history, thinking about starting at the beginning of the time up until the present point and all around the globe is really overwhelming for a new teacher. Even United States history and the vast amount of material within United States history is just overwhelming for someone new to teaching. And so the standards help kind of think through, you know, what's important. And they were part of some conversations at the state level where teachers from around the state, along with teacher educators and others, decided what was going to be the bare minimum, right? And so the um, the article that I wrote thought through some of the standards at the time and thinking about, you know what, this isn't telling you what not to teach. This is giving you a framework from which to go on and teach the culturally relevant content and use culturally relevant pedagogy because culturally relevant teaching isn't just about content. It's also about your instructional strategies. So that was kind of the basis of that article. And I'm thinking about it now a great deal because what happened in the 2000s with the standards movement and all that is kind of a precursor to what's going on now with the pushback against critical race theory, right? So it was a policy document that folks got, I don't know, it, it, it was frustrating, right? We had to figure out how to work through. And there are a lot of really well-known scholars who wrote about much better language than I did that wrote about how actually standards-based instruction can be culturally responsive. You know, it can be inclusive of African-American history, of Native American history, and so forth. And there are some phenomenal work that's been done around that, phenomenal lessons that are in the Zen Education Project and um, Teaching for Justice does as well, where teachers from around the country have written some really incredible lessons um, that incorporate good content, primary documents, everything to look for in a history class, along with instructional strategies that engage kids in, in unique ways. Yeah, absolutely. So I think Attica Scott is concerned because uh, the Kentucky Core Content Standards apply not to just Jefferson County, Mm-hmm. But as you pointed out, it's doing a good job of helping teachers understand how to teach those standards. Yeah. California's but, a really good job, I think. And I, I know just enough to know I need to learn more. But they're doing a really good job rethinking their standards and using the legislative process to create more inclusive standards. So, for example, even teaching some Asian history courses and things like that, so that they're they're using the legislative process in a in a way that's helpful. Tar Walker, there is there's little African American and Native American history included in the Kentucky Core Content Social Studies standards. Mm-hmm. State Legislature Attica Scott proposes supporting legislation that will require the Kentucky Department of Education to change the KCCSC standards. So they include a more comprehensive African-American history. Tell us about why it's important to change those standards so they include a a more comprehensive African-American history. Well, first of all, the history that our kids are learning in history books, as I've said to you before, from a high school Indian student, a student from India, that's where they start learning about the, the European and them coming over and building the United States. 
and they need to know beyond that. Our history is so broad and it's, they are putting it in a bottle and this is all we're learning about. So it is important to have this legislation because we cannot change. It's going to be hard for the district to change the curriculum. But if we get the state to say, hey, we, we're going to expand, we have to. We have to start teaching the truth, teaching, and that doesn't include critical race theory, when I say the truth, teaching the truth about Black people, Africans, and Native Americans, that would open up a broad spectrum. And then we're learning, we're, get, we're getting more information. See, we're limited, we're limiting our students. We need to say, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to start teaching this, and this needs to be put in the curriculum, because that's the only way it's going to be put there. Because some schools, like our urban schools, I can see some of the urban schools saying, okay, yes, we're going to teach you, we're going to teach it like this. But some of the other schools that's on the east end and maybe some south end, they're going to say, oh, no, we're not going to teach that. We're going to teach this history that's in this book and this in our book. Tyra Walker, the Kentucky Court Content Social Studies Standards. Are they important to teachers? Do teachers follow that guideline? Yes. When they're making their lesson plans, yes, they're following those guidelines. And because, see, I'm a special ed teacher. So when I'm teaching, a le- when I know my, t- my teacher, classroom teacher is teached, when she gets to that Native American and that, that slave that about the Africans and African-Americans, that's when I kind of, I expand because you can. Our, our social studies curriculum is where you can, you can expand on it, but some of them are stickler to what's in that curriculum that that's all they're going to teach. Ryan knew, he's new, he was new to the district about two years ago, I do apologize. He developed the social studies curriculum so that you can expand, you can add other uh, standards or other information about different cultures and, and expand on that. Okay, and I looked at those core content social studies curriculum that the Kentucky Department of Education has created, and you're right, it's, but there is very little specific information or specific directions that explain to teachers that they have to teach African-American history. So that's the reason why Attica Scott wants to require that there is specific information in that Kentucky core content social studies right. curriculum. I was like, right now it's just a it's just an elective in high school. Yeah. It's not a required course. Okay. So no, it's not required to be taught. Okay. So Tyra Walker, I know you are a member of the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. It's a national and local organization that supports the teaching of African American history in parochial and public schools. So tell us about Asala. Well, I am and I we are an organization that is adamant about teaching African American history. African American th- history 365 in uh, public schools and parochial schools. They feel it is very important for for us to know where we came from, because there's one thing that I do know. If you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you go. So they're very adamant about that. And they're working with other organizations and coalitions uh, and a coalition group just trying to make sure that, you know, we have people standing with us in solidarity with us to, to push this and get this out of here so that we can be, you know, successful with teaching our kids the true history about themselves. And as well, I'm not just going to say teaching our kids, but teaching teaching adults too, because they don't know either. Yeah, okay. So, Tower Walker, uh, there's a academy 
Academy in Louisville, a W.E.B. Du Bois Academy, a Jefferson mm-hmm. County public school here in Louisville, mm-hmm. with it by design, a mostly African-American student body. Mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. of a Black, and you mentioned this, of a Black History 365 Social Studies curriculum. Mm-hmm. JCPS Academy for Girls <laughs> of Color is set to open next year. And it too will include a Black History 365 social studies curriculum. So yeah. does that mean that the social studies curriculum will be entirely about Blacks, Black history? Or will that curriculum also include history of white people as well? It's going to include, it's the Afro, it has that Afrocentric curriculum. But it's definitely still going to embed the history of, you know, the United States from our history books. We have, because we have to, you know, teach that, but definitely going to be embed, you know, the Black History 365 within their curriculum. You know, it's not going to remove because nothing should be removed. Okay. So Tara, if our listeners want to learn more about the implementation of African-American, Native American history in our nation's middle schools and high schools, do you have some articles, books you might recommend? Right now, the book that I am reading, and that's because myself and another teacher is also trying to develop a curriculum. And I'm reading, I know it's uh, African Civilization is the book that I'm reading right now. It is um it's an introduction to African civilization by John G. Jackson. Okay. These people need to understand that these people are trying to put, they're trying to stop teaching the importance of African Black history. And really, it's more so of the racial equity. That racial equity is a buzzword right there. That is a word that equity, they don't want, why? Equity, oh, equality, equality is not the same. If you remember the picture, I remember this picture, three people standing and they're looking at fireworks, trying to watch fireworks over a fence. I believe it was fireworks. They all needed a stool or like a little stair, I say stair step or something to step on to see above the fence, even the taller one. He could, when he stood on it, he could see above the fence. The one that was a little bit shorter could barely see over the fence. And the one that was shorter than he was couldn't see at all. But they all had the same size stool to step on. They all had the same size. That's equality. I'm giving you all the same thing across the board. Equity means I'm going to give each student what they need. This is not a one size fit all district because it's too diverse for that. We have to give the students what they need to be successful. And each student is going to require something different. That's equity. And when it comes to racial equity, we are trying to close the achievement gap between our Black students and our white students. Teaching where our kids, where they came from, is a necessity. So they'll know exactly where they are going. Okay. Kelly Thomas, you are a parent. Uh, and you have children that are in the Jefferson County Public School System. Uh, you have heard about a board meeting that's going to happen that's going to discuss this issue uh, of uh, teaching African-American history, the history of uh, women's movement, Native American history. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yes. So there's a JCPS Board of Education meeting on July 27th and in, in, at Central High School. And um, so I plan on being there as a parent advocate for teaching African-American history, Native American history, LGBTQ history. In other words, having an inclusive history curriculum that also frankly affects language arts curriculum and even the science and mathematics curriculum. So across subject areas from elementary school to high school. And so uh, what I know about that board meeting is there's a press conference at 515 with the board meeting at six o'clock. I'm not sure if there's room for speakers to register, but I plan to be there. 
with my child and we will have signs. Okay, folks, we're out of time. We want to thank Shelley Thomas and Tara Walker for appearing as our guest today. You can catch us again July 27th at 8 a.m. and Wednesday, July 28th at 6 a.m. You can listen live stream if you visit us at forwardradio.org and click on Listen Live Now. The program featuring Dr. Shelley Thomas and Tara Walker will be placed in our archives Wednesday, July 28th. To listen via our archives, visit the website at forwardradio.org, choose Program Archives, and then scroll down to the Solutions to Balance program that features Shelly Thomas and Tyra Walker. For more information and a schedule of programming that will surprise and delight you, maybe even challenge you, visit us at forwardradio.org. You'll find a wealth of offerings. For Solutions to Balance, we are your hosts, Jim Johnson and Jamie McMillan. Our technical engineer is Carolyn Brooks Johnson. Thanks for listening.